Yeah, and people would write us to be like, hey, I found a bug in your game. And we'd be like, awesome. Right? Like, that's, that's great. Like, we, we never fix yeah. those things because that's, that's what makes it so much fun. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Our guest is Davey Redden, an independent game developer. Davey is best known for making The Stanley Parable and just launched his new game, The Beginner's Guide, under his new company, Everything Unlimited Limited. Today's interview is conducted by Adam Saltzman, director of Finji, an indie developer and publisher. Adam is best known for creating Cannibalt and is currently working on Overland. So we've only got 14 hours of space right, left on cool. here. So. Well, in that case, I'll try, I'll try and shorten my answers a little bit. <laughs> Keep can, it can nice and brief. For super OCD purposes, could you just yeah. like lift that chair so that the oh, rug yeah, goes yeah, under yeah. it? It's just going to bother the shit out of me. Yes. <laughs> no, you know. I'm, I'm glad you told me about it, because now I feel better, too. Yeah, good. Uh, so it's just feng shui. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to set it like this, I think. That should be good. Cool. Cool, so um, thanks for taking the time to do this, and let's start by, um, if you want to um, just uh, introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about the um, games that you've worked on, and, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so hello, my name is Davey Reedon. I am um, a native California resident currently living in Austin, Texas. And uh, I uh, kind of produced, directed, wrote, whatever, some variety of jobs on uh, The Stanley Parable. I was the sole creator of the original Half-Life 2 mod, which came out in 2011, uh, which I developed while I was in school at USC. And then um, between 2011 and 2013, developed the remake with uh, primarily with co-collaborator William Pugh, who lives in Yorkshire, England. And uh, and he and I and a team of, uh, of other a small team of other people um, developed that game entirely over Skype from all different parts of the world. Uh, I was living in both Australia and Texas at the time uh, that we made that, and then that came out in 2013. Um, did a small number of, of little add-ons and extras for that, like the Stanley Parable Dota 2 announcer pack, which was a lot of fun to make. Um, and since then, I've been uh, living in Austin, puttering around with some new projects of my own. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, where do we start? You lived in Australia for a while? Yeah, man. I lived there for a year. When did that happen? So, okay, this is a funny story. Because um, we're in the office, like right now we're doing this interview in the office where I first played Stanley Parable, which mm-hmm. was two years ago or three years ago? It been two years ago, yeah. Something like that. Probably was. Well, it was, it was like a year and a half ago, I think. Yeah. Somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it came out a year ago. I think you played like a few months before, like four or five months before release. That sounds so, right. That so sounds right. About a year. So yeah, but so in, at some point you lived in Australia then. Yeah, uh, just before coming here. Actually, oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and so did you know, were there like other Australian game developers? Well, yeah. So what was funny about it was that the reason I went to Australia is because there uh, was a video game bar in Australia called Monobar, uh, in Melbourne specifically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as I was graduating college, 
you know, I was kind of like puttering around, didn't really have a particular goal or a particular aim. And I said, uh, I'm really interested in like creating a, a video game bar, like a social space for gaming pub, hub, lounge kind of thing. Sure. And, uh, and these folks in Australia at the time were one of the only people doing it, though now there's it's grown significantly and there are many, many places around the world. And, but they were one of the few, uh, you know, in like 2010, 2009, 2010, they were doing this. So I called them up and said, hey, I'm really interested in working with you guys. And they were like, well, why don't you come out to Australia and try it out? So, you know, me not having anything else to do after college, I said, yeah, I'll fly to Australia <laughs> and work in your bar. Sure. Huh. Uh, and so what happened was I bought my tickets. I graduated college. I was living for a few months in the sum, uh, that summer after graduation before flying out. And about three weeks before the before my flight, uh, I launched Stanley Parable. And I mean, at that point, yeah. I, you know, at that point, I had no presence in any the development community at all. I, there was nothing. This was the only thing I'd ever made, mm-hmm. at, the only game I'd ever made. And I launched it, and then it was just like this overnight firestorm of sudden attention and press and hmm. and recognition. And uh, and it was very surreal because uh, within the course of a week, you know, my my uh, I completely shifted. You know, like I found William. Uh, came and and we started talking. We started working on this new game together on Stanley Parable, and suddenly uh, the attention shifted completely toward. Well, now I'm a game developer. That's, <laughs> okay, right, that's right, right. Yeah. But but I had the tickets and everything, and and I can I can do that job from anywhere. So I was like, yeah, I'll go yeah. to Australia. So I went and I did. I worked at the bar. I worked at Mon- I was a bartender at Monobar for about eight months there, huh. um, and uh, while while developing the game on the side. Huh. Neat. And I was in Melbourne? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I love Melbourne. Um, and and there, it's a lovely, lovely place, and there is a really great um, kind of uh, community of game developers there yeah. as well. And so I got to be good friends with many of those folks. Cool, cool. Like um, uh, like Andy Sum, who recently released Crossy yes. Road. Yep, yep. And uh, is now now hit sensation of the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope that's around this. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> okay. Well, if it's not, you can cut that out. It'll be like... <laughs> That'd be fine. That'd be fine. Um, yeah. So was the um, so one of the things we've been talking to, especially with um, uh, people who are from you know, for all intents and purposes, that like the indie <clears throat> video game space um, frequently have this uh, sudden success thing happen. So that was the thing that happened. Um, for me back in like 2009 or whatever and it was super weird and I did not handle it well um, really how so uh, I, I so I'd, I'd had a lot of good formative experiences leading up to that um, and where I learned a lot of good lessons and it was I think um, the uh, Cannibal was a product of those experiences and then the experience of Cannibal um, I uh, started completely ignoring everything that had led up to that point and started, like, in- invented a bunch of new rules that I thought were really important, and they were bad. Following Cannibal, you mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and so, um, but yeah, I've been talking to a bunch of, like, this is something that um, Daniel and I talked a lot about, was yeah. um, he had these um, these kind of poetic flash games, um, and uh, they had, a, a, if not a major commercial impact, that had a really significant kind of um, critical or cultural impact, mm-hmm. especially for indie mm-hmm. games, and... Um, and that was super weird for him and for years uh, and now uh, it's better and he's you know he's kind of come to terms with it and is kind of doing his own thing but I was curious if 
if tending bar in Melbourne like uh, uh, mitigated the effects of that a little bit, or if it was still kind of weird, or well, I mean, we're taught there's there are two very very different stories here, and one is the launch of the mod, and one is the launch of the standalone, right? And those right, are as right. far as yep. as far as emotional impact and how I dealt with them. I mean, those are each of those is its own, um, you know, branching. Chaotic, chaotic tornado, right? <laughs> yeah. Going, going in very separate directions. Yeah. I mean, is that do you want me to like unpack that or? Um, as as much as you're interested, it doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to go anywhere you don't want it to go. Oh no, no, I'm okay. I'm very happy. I mean, so like the 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 um, the abstract is right now. I'm fine. I'm doing great, right? And I yeah. and like things were really bad for me, basically. And, and I don't mind it. I don't mind talking about it, right? Um, I guess it's more like if that's meaningful or relevant um, in some way. I think it is, but yeah, let me, let's do, let's do the big one a little bit later. Okay. And for I now, I'm just sort of curious about, like, the first, because mm-hmm. um, there's a cool, there's a weird feeling when, like, you can talk to other people who are game developers and you start kind of self-identifying as a game developer in mm-hmm. some ways. And... And you say, like, oh, I worked on this thing. And someone says, oh, I liked that thing. I yeah. played it even though I didn't know you yet. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. Like, that's not a thing that happens automatically. No. No. Uh, not. Or usually, usually. it doesn't happen <laughs> automatically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, uh, you know, after, like, the game came out and then uh, the mod came out. And then a few weeks after, like, just before I went to Australia, I went to PAX in Seattle. And uh, I've, been an, I've been an enforcer at, uh, at PAX for about four years. Um hmm. And and so I, I was at PAX. I mean, I was already like a part of the community because I was like, I was like, oh, this is how I'm going to be involved in the community. Is I'm going to be like like helping run you know things like this bar or or, or, or events or whatever or conventions, right? Like this yeah. is how like this is how my the where my inn is going to be. So yeah. I went and I was a I was a, a volunteer at PAX, and suddenly at the same time I'm talking to people. Like I met a guy in the air, on the in the airport who just started talking, and I was like, yeah, I made uh, the Stanley Parable. He was like, I've heard of that, and I was like. <laughs> very first thing right like at an airport you know the (laughs) very first time that like someone had like known about my work who I'd never met before yeah and uh and in that space where because you know the game was like very successful Half-Life 2 mod so you know the scope of it is not so big that you're gonna be like overwhelmed yeah yeah yeah. right you know in the in the the booming industrious space of mods for a dying engine, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, Which is the space I was in. Like, uh, I love seeing these things come out because that was... Uh, there you know, There was no Unity or Game Maker mm-hmm. back in 2000 or 2001 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so um, a thing... A, a slightly lower barrier to entry as opposed to, like, writing your own Windows game from scratch was to mod first-person shooter engines. Yeah. Something I did a lot of, and I know um, uh, Kevin from, formerly from Area Code, who did, he did Drop 7, and then um, now, and recently did Dog Park. Um, I worked on a Half-Life 2 mod called Science and Industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Which I played. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I, and um, there used to be a, a level designer here in town named Andrew Weldon, who um, worked on Natural Selection, mm-hmm. original Half-Life mod, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's always been fun for me to see like people and projects that I knew about from like 15 years ago go on and work on other things later. Like, like that I wasn't alone in the Half-Life mod scene, kind of. Yeah. Even though the work I did was bad. 
and not influential went nowhere. But I mean, probably laid the groundwork for, you know, because what, what was the, the tipping point for me that pushed me into modding were Dear Esther and Radiator, right? Mm-hmm. And those things were 2007, 8-ish, somewhere in like yeah. 27, 2007, 2008. So I mean, yeah. we're talking like, like uh, you know, several years after those early projects of kind yeah. of like established and laid groundwork and kind of you know, uh, developed enough of a framework and a language to where people start coming in and doing really off the wall stuff with it, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I think that if you step back and look at it, those those early things would have been very like I don't think I don't think I think you can make a case that something like Stanley Parable wouldn't have happened without that you know gradual evolution over the years. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's it's. I was because I wasn't involved in it before that. I mean, like yeah. Derester, I think was the first like. Uh, I guess Dearest was definitely the first like Half-Life 2 mod that I played that I was like I could do this too yeah. I, like, I, I want to make this kind of hmm. thing yeah yeah, and, and just to, to be super clear talking about Dear Esther, the Half-Life the, the 2 half-life, mod yes, as opposed yes, to the, also yes, the standalone exa- yeah exactly exactly <laughs> right right and uh, um, yeah very funny that yeah. uh, we, we ended up following very similar paths yeah neat um uh uh, so yeah, so uh, you had this uh, Half-Life 2 mod that was um, well-received, but it's mm. still a Half-Life 2 mod, and those things, with the ex- like, basically the sole exception of Counter-Strike, uh, usually Half-Life engine mod, there's a, there's a ceiling yeah. to yeah. that community, right. maybe for technical reasons right. or, or whatever. Uh, but you know what there's not a ceiling to is word of mouth. And what happened was it wasn't that it wasn't that a lot of people played Stanley Parable. It was that a lot of people had heard of Stanley Parable, right? And that was that was almost the more meaningful impact. Like I went to um, GDC, the first GDC after Stanley Parable came out. I flew from Australia. I'd never been to GDC before. It was a friend that I, a, a person I had met at PAX, another developer, uh, Andy Nguyen, who or, who was the level designer on Monaco. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and Andy was like, "You got to come to GDC," and I was like, "Really? What's oh okay, fine." So I flew from Australia to GDC oh. <laughs> for that, and then that like blew that that broke it open for me. That was like now I'm part of this community, right? Hmm. Because uh, and it was like only a very when I was, as I was going around and talking to people, only a very small number of people had actually played Stanley Parable, right? Yeah, like like there were there were a few, but it was probably not more than one or two out of ten people. Right. Sure. But but at least fifty percent of people that I talked to had heard of Stanley Parable. Right? Yeah. And so, I was actually in that boat. Like mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. where I was. Like I I hadn't actually played it, but yeah. I a few game designer friends were like, "Why haven't you played it?" They're just, like, right. freaking out. Right. Right. Well, for one thing, because it was kind of a pain in the ass to install. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was like a Half Life modder. Like it was definitely within my technical purview or whatever. Sure. Like, sure. Sure. No, but I, but I get it, and like it wasn't, yeah. and in the long run, I mean, certainly in the in the long run, um, I prefer because the remake ended up uh, building and expanding on so much of what I mean. I was talking with uh, I was talking with a friend who um, who had played the remake, and he was like, "Gosh, so what? So what's in the what's in the uh, original version then? What was that?" I was like, "Well, let's see. There's uh, fewer paths." Um, there are no real side little branching paths that branch off of those. The office itself doesn't change on repeated playthroughs. 
you know, there's no randomization element. Um, there's no extra achievements. It was like, <laughs> what? What is it then? It's nothing. There's nothing in the original version, right? Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, I like that's kind of how I think about it now. That now that the the new game um, has has established like Stanley Parable is this and this and this and this. I I think I feel a little bit like um, like I I. I, I the original is kind of like, oh, okay, get that out of here. You know, that doesn't that that didn't mean anything. So yeah. it's probably better that it did more word of mouth, so that more people were coming to the new game fresh. So, sure. so they knew about it. They were like, oh, okay, I know this is interesting. Yeah. I know this is something people are talking about. But I get to uh, have a totally you know like blank slate experience with the totality of this content, rather than looking huh. for like all the yeah. little bits and pieces that are different. About so it's it, accidentally know? like the best marketing. For a game you hadn't started yet. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and what happened was, I mean, basically, as far as marketing, because that was the situation that we were dealing with when it came to actually trying to talk about the new game, it was like, okay, well, this is the perception of it currently. So it, the, 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 the strategy was not how do we just market this in general. It was how do we channel this very specific word of mouth into hmm. something that like like what's the what's the the most direct route between point A and point B be, between this kind of understanding of like public public awareness and funneling that into a thing that people will care about and want to pick up and try now that it's on Steam now that it's much easier to to yeah. access and it looks more like a legitimate thing um, and I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead of myself there but um, but it was like uh, it was this weird combination of fortune that we had like that I was given of I was given like a very specific um kind of like niche following that yeah. because it was like it was very uh narrow but very deep and so yeah. um and so it was easy to isolate like these are the elements of that particular niche that we can like hammer that really really hard and it ended up I mean you know it's like it trickles out right like yeah. if you really if you really cater to that not that not that the game not that we like designed the game to cater to anyone but right. when it came to talking about it and trying to communicate like how do we best communicate what this experience is about then we honed in the communication very very specifically yeah yeah that makes sense cool um so uh do you want to talk about, like, so let's briefly entertain the insane premise that somebody listening to this or reading this uh, is not familiar with the Stanley Parable. Like, how would you describe it, roughly? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, so, like, most of the time when someone uh, when someone who is interested in playing it asks about it, I, I tend to say, like, well, um... um it's it's an ex, it's it's an experience that's that's founded on trying to confuse your expectations, and so the less you know about it going into it, the better. So that um, you know, like I said, you so that you bring a a blank slate, you know, mental framework yeah. that um, that we can build that we can build on in the moment of you playing it, rather than like mm. you know, the more you know about it the more, like, things you'll be looking for and trying to, you know, trying to understand or pick out from, like, things that you've heard already about it. Um, yeah. So I try and, you know, I try. I generally encourage people to, to, because it's the kind of experience that I think really benefits from not knowing what it is going into it. Yeah. Um, but, to, but to touch on it a little bit, um, essentially it's a, it's a primarily narrative and storytelling-focused experience 
that lacks any traditional gameplay mechanics or objectives and, uh, and is instead about um, a particular story that the game that the, uh, that the game would like to tell you and um, and the player uh, the player decision of whether or not to um, follow that story and see how the story goes or whether or not to break away and to uh, experience, what perhaps is not intended for you to see, and mm-hmm. uh, and what emerges is kind of a a dissolve a, a dissolution of the barriers between those different permutations to where they all start to to blend together and become a larger narrative, um, and that's and the way that the way that those things piece together, even though uh, you know we try to we try to create a lot of connections between the pieces of the game, um, <clears throat> I think that it's the way that each individual person interprets how they're all connected and comes away with their own like ability to say, Oh yeah, to me that, uh, you know, this piece and this piece were commenting on the X, you know, X plus Y equals Z. Hmm. Whereas a different person's X and Y, you know, could come from totally different parts of the game. Um, and that was actually the intention of it was to place, was to, to give people an, enough variety of, um, tones and styles and themes so that uh, you know if one part of the game wasn't for you there's another part that maybe fits more along your you know your, uh, yeah. your mental framework um, and this what so like the result of it was that so like uh, you know a big part of that was um, on the one hand we would do very we would do things that would that were meant to be very creepy and unsettling and then down a totally different branch you get just pure comedy right and huh. okay, yeah. so, so this was very important to balance these two things so that, um, you know, no matter how deep and serious it gets, the game is also willing to, like, let down its hair and say, you know, but but this isn't, it's not that important that you think this is, like, a super meaningful, deep thing. We also want you to have fun. But yeah. as you're having fun, uh, the, the, the comedy, the enjoyment of, you know, of laughter or humor is very engaging. Right, and the more that, and yeah. the, the the more that you laugh at the experience, the more it lets your guard. The more you let your guard down because you trust this game, you trust this experience. And once you've let your guard down, then we swoop in and we yeah. catch you with the really fucking weird. Thing. <laughs> this was actually like at a certain point in development, we started to recognize that um, that we had we had kind of very roughly like a like a pattern for how how um, branches of the story evolved, which was like comedy, 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 the switch, like the flip, suddenly like the bottom drops out, and then, yeah. and then it's the terror of the abyss. And, yeah. uh, and if you do that, huh. it, that it's, it's amazingly effective because, yeah. like, because if you do the comedy right, then by the time you get to, you know, the, the gnawing void, like, uh, people will plunge into it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Like, it's so mm-hmm. much more powerful to put that kind of terrifying element of the game at the end of a very <laughs> comedic... Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's such a pleasure. Like, yeah. there's there's no pleasure that I get, like, like seeing people really believing that the game is just going to, like, comically kind of play and dance with them yeah. and then to have it flipped around on them and it's not just like they're freaked out or scared it's like they've been like something got through their their 
the rib cage. Right, right. right? And it's yeah. a very different kind of um, horror. I don't know if you want to, what, what, you know, fear. Yeah. It's a very different kind of fear experience. Because yeah. it's almost, it's like personal. It's, it's more intimate. It's like, no, no, we didn't, we didn't like stab you open. We didn't tear, you know, we, we didn't come in and ripped you up. You opened yourself up. And so huh. you, in a way, like you're complicit in the, the fear experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of, um, uh, they're not the greatest examples probably because they're movies, but there's a movie called The Orphanage and there's mm-hmm. another movie called The Stuntman that I think kind of use... The Orphanage is funny because it's kind of flipped around almost. The Orphanage it looks like a slasher movie kind of. And then um, as you're kind of like adrenaline up from the scary movie stuff, it like punches you in the gut with this like sentimental kind of family story that you were not anticipating at all and it just hits like 20 times harder than if it was just kind of upfront about what it was going to do yeah, right. um, and the stuntman is even more clever like the stuntman is a lot closer stuntman is I maybe has some uh, I think it has some kind of tonal similarities to the Stanley Parable hmm. a little bit it's not similar in structure but it's it's all about this idea of like let's have some fun and games and violence and there's also going to be like while that's happening, there's like mm-hmm. something else coming across. Yeah, uh, right, 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 right. It's really neat. Um, the the kind of end result of, of of how we did that with Stanley Parables is that if you go to you know uh, a different reviews for the game, I mean we had we had reviews that were like Stanley Parable is an existential horror game. You know, per, like like prepare <laughs> prepare to you know you will question everything, right, and shit yeah. like that. And then, uh, and then we would have other reviews that would be like, Stanley Parable is a comedy game. It's all about, like, <laughs> laughing, right? right? You know, and it's funny because, like, each of them would, like, like each of these, like, styles of, uh, of review, they would always be like, you know, this is this, like, it's all about, like, questioning the role of, like, the, who is the creator and who is the prisoner and the, and the you know, why, do, why does this exist? And, and then there's, like, some comedy in it that, you know, keeps you engaged, but... But, you know, you know yeah, it's, it's for this, like, big, serious purpose. And then, like, the other half of it is, like, Stanley Parable's this comedy thing. And then, you're like, yeah, there's, you know, you're going to have, like, some existential stuff. You know, you'll get a little right, bit of right. that. But then you're going to go back to laughing and it's going to be great. <laughs> and it's really, uh, it's, it's such a great barometer for, uh, you know, the, the actual person reviewing it, right? Yeah. You, like, yeah. it really says a lot about, about what that person is looking for and they're hmm. I don't even know if looking for is the, I, I'm not really sure what that what that's a metric of but yeah. I love I is love something they connected with personally yeah maybe, or right right hmm neat so there's a couple of like there's um so there's one thing going on here that I think is interesting I'm gonna ask you out in a minute but yeah. there's this other thing going on here which is I think um I would say maybe um counterintuitive from a like modern let's make an indie game and market it or whatever kind of thing which is um uh it being very important for people to come into the game or the experience um knowing as little as possible uh and then once they are in the experience having it be um both unpredictable and having a broader variety of tone then, because like I feel like the like if um, you know a conventional wisdom for how to make a game as a commercial project or whatever, I think um, conventional wisdom probably would dictate uh, give it a 
have a kind of uniform tone, have a recognizable vibe, have a signature something or other, and then like drill that into people for like six months uh, so that then they get the game and it's what they expected and so on. But um, I think Stanley Parable sort of does completely the opposite of that. Uh, just, uh, it, I mean, yeah, I was going to say like, which is maybe why it was effective, but I also yeah. realize you could, it's totally possible to do that in just an awful jarring you know, like, what am I playing? What? Yeah, because well, I think you can compare it to, like, um, you know, to Dear Esther in some ways, where I think, like, Dear Esther is a very, um, you know, uh, kind of did, I think, the more conventional thing in some ways. Not that that's a bad thing, but that game has, there's, like, a specific, there's kind of one specific tone, mm-hmm. I feel like, and kind of, um, and one specific setting, and, um telling people about that game or presenting it to people is about communicating like this is what you're going to yeah. experience is this feel or this tone or whatever. Well, so you, you're probably familiar with the demo that we did. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, so um, so I guess for the listeners at home, um, we basically, like, this was the issue. It was like, okay, how do we talk about this? Because, um, you know, like you said, there's uh, the the tone of the game, you know, what you think the tone of the game is has a lot to do with your, what you're bringing to the table, right? So how do we say that? How do we, how do we communicate to people that, um, you know, we're going to bounce around between a number of different things, but that they're ultimately, and and I do think that there is a, a, like a, Tone to Stanley Parable that is, that is consistent, you know. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I, I don't. It's it's bigger than like humor or or horror or whatever. But yeah. there's like there's something that's consistent between those things, right? Yeah. Um. And uh, and you know a lot of that just has to do with like our personalities, right? You know, this was I. You know, we care about. We feel like there's the space for all of these things. So like, let's work really hard to try to connect them. Yeah. So, but but as far as as far as how I would explain that to someone, I mean, there is just there's no way you can't do like a a blurb on your Steam page that you know right. explains that. You <laughs> what's, know? what's your witty one liner for oh, this? God. Like, <laughs> so no, I would. I mean, like what I would do is when people ask me, I would just make up a different thing every single time, right? I kind of like you know we talk about like thematically the, appropriate. We, we, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we talk about the elevator pitch and you know like and yeah. like what I started doing was like people would ask me about it and I'd just be like, hmm, what do I feel right now and I'll just kind of do that right (laughs) and that became like if if, more than anything it was a way for me to like personally cope with it with kind of the stress of like not knowing how to explain this thing to people right so um so when when it came time to actually like really you know sell the game and we're talking about about real money that you're paying for I don't know what. What are you paying for? That's an excellent question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, so we did a demo. Uh, we made it. We made a demo for the game that has no actual content from the main game in it. It's a completely separate experience. lasts about twenty minutes, <clears throat> and um, and it's you know the narrator from the Stanley Parable is uh, guiding you through a demo for the Stanley Parable. And in order to do so, he takes a step back and takes you on a tour of uh, technologies that are used to facilitate and, and construct and maintain demo- video game demonstrations. 
uh, and, and kind of gives you a tour of the facility where, where the demo is going to be held, and then actually tries to take you on the demo, but it fails, and he can't figure out why, and you keep, like, weirdly getting sent back to, the, like, the beginning of the demo, even though, and he keeps assuring you that there is a demo somewhere around here, and promises <laughs> that we'll find it, and, uh, um, and, and so anyway, so it's this kind of, like, comedic, uh, Mobius strip of uh, of kind of meta demo deconstruction, right? Yeah. Uh, that's like very comedic and very funny, and then like it's the same. It's the exact same thing. It's like comedy, 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 yeah. comedy, and then right at the end, it kind of like goes totally off the rails, and suddenly all reduces down to a single point and becomes utterly somber and melancholy and deeply hmm. and and like. Um, uh, very deeply trapped in itself, and, yeah. and it kind of focuses in on like the 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 fact that this comedy, this humor that we've gone through, like really what this is for this characters is like this is a distraction, right? For this narrator, right? This person who is this person who's trying to guide you. Uh, I mean, the intention was to say that um, that hey, he's he's trapped in his own lack of understanding about what exactly this demo is, and the comedy is. Um, his way of coping with kind of his smallness as a character, right? So, so you you know you can imagine how this kind of like twenty minutes of jokes followed by that like utter kind of you know desperation, like <laughs> it, like like com- compressed into about two minutes right there yeah. at the end, um, and that was what I it was very important for me to to end it on that note, uh, so as to say to people like, um, uh, you know. This is there is a tone here. There is something consistent, but it's not as simple as one of these pieces. It's yeah. a tone that um, that will be that's conveyed by the movement between pieces, right? And so, if you're into that, if you're on board with that, then you're gonna like Stanley Parable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, and it turned out to be very effective. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's like it's this funny. It feels like a really funny balance between wanting this. This blank slate where you can um, build up sort of new ideas and new expectations and things for the player, combined with um, needing or wanting to um, somehow get. uh, It's this weird balance between like, like clearly communicating. Um, the uh, tone or the style of the game and the um, and like you're saying like the arc that you designed for all of the pieces of the game like it's like the demo is like one little piece of that arc but somehow it manages to preserve the um, sort of like uh, the, the openness of the player when they get there which doesn't seem super easy well, it was, it was <laughs> in some ways. It was a rough process. You know, we went through a bunch of versions of that demo before we got it right. It took a while to yeah. get it, to get the feeling of it just right. But when we did, when 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 yeah, after like six months of iteration on it, when we finally had something that that people sat down and like uh, like that was the most satisfying. Like if you ask me now, what's my favorite part of making Stanley Parable? I would say the demo because huh. uh, because it was such a we had to do it in such a short space. You know, you only get, like in the bigger, you know, in the main game, um, you know, when you're talking about a player experience between 
you know, 10 or 15 different points of reference, right? As a developer, you get so lost in the mess of the web of that thing that you you stop seeing what those connections are. You just see details, yeah. right? You just see, here's what's wrong, here's what's, here's what's not working about this. But in a much, when the scope is much smaller, hmm. it was so much easier to see exactly what that player impact was. Um, and it was so much easier to like hone that in to, to elicit that very specific response. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, which is the nature of, of developing something as weird and nebulous as Stanley Parable is that, you know, in spite of how nebulous it is, we wanted a very specific response. We wanted a, a particular kind of impact. Yeah. And, um, and the demo was a great way to isolate out exactly what that is um, and, and develop it on a much more, um, uh, on a scale that was much easier to process, manage, yeah. internalize. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because it feels like it feels like almost like making what people would call uh, or what the like a AAA company would call it, like making your vertical, vertical slice. slice. Yeah. yeah, right, right. But after, yes. <laughs> well, so what was funny? What was funny about that is that um, in making the demo, we actually uh, um, because by that point we had like a pretty good understanding uh, of like the game, so we were like, great. Well, you know. Since, like you said, since we've made the main game first, now we'll be able to uh, uh, like just easily compress that down into something. We'll just make another type of thing like what we've been making before. And so, like I said, we went through a bunch of versions of it. Well, the first version that we did, people hated it. And we, we looked back and realized that we had abandoned so many of the rules and the, like oh. the, the things that had made that was making the main experience compelling, right? So like, <laughs> you know, so so like in the main experience is very important that um, there there aren't a lot of places in in the game in either uh, uh, games where you're stopping where where you're forced to stop and just listen to like the narrator talk. There are some, and there are places where you can choose to stop in a place and listen to the narrator talk. But it was important for us to always give the player movement, always give the player um, the ability to progress, and we tried to tie as much of the, the dialogue and the narrative uh, as possible into movement and into progression, so that hmm. even even while uh, you know you're being you know you're being fed narrative, um, just giving you a chance to like explore an environment kind of like mitigates the sense that you're being talked down to. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which makes sense, but it's like slightly counterintuitive also. How so? Well, it's a it's a story game with a lot of narration, so like the uh like my first impression would be like, oh, it's a game where you go into a space and receive mm-hmm. narration. But it totally I mean it makes a ton of sense. Well I, and maybe this is a okayish point to segue into this idea of like um, like, is there a genre of narrator games now where there's like this weird spectrum from like um, Portal over to like Gone Home and Dear Esther and maybe like a little bit of Antichamber maybe where there's kind of like varying degrees of real puzzle versus um, like environmental storytelling uh, in the audio diary sense over to um, what Stanley Parable does, which I think is like a little bit different from uh, from those things. It's not really audio diaries, even though some of the ideas of, well, we want to let you move around and do things while um, you are listening to things, but it's, um, it's very reactive in Stanley Parable in some ways. 
But I think, well, I mean, I think it's, um, I think in all of those other games, I mean, Dear Esther, less, but, but all the other games that you mentioned do offer you, like, like, they all have a form of engagement on top of the, the narrative being fed to you, right? You know, yeah. so, like, Antichamber, for one thing, the bits of, like, narrative are very small and very short, so they don't, you, yeah. know, you never feel like you're, like, you're stopping to have to, like, consume a thing. But also, you can click on those plaques, and they'll show you, like, an image that goes along with it. So, again, it's like you're being given two things and asked to, to put them together and combine yeah. them, and that, that act of, uh, of having to take two disparate things and process and reconcile them internally is what I think makes, um, uh, you know, most environmental narrative very compelling, right? Hmm. It's not just being told a story through the environment, but right. being told a story in such a way where you are are solving some kind of internal um, dissonance, right? Right, right? You know, you're having to, to combine... I mean, Portal is, like, one of the best examples of that, right? Yeah. Because there is... Because Portal is so dissonant, right? And for, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. like, most of... For most of the play. And then it resolves that dissonance in a really compelling way. It's like when you get to, like, you know, the third act turn, you're yeah. like, I knew this was... You're like, even if you didn't know it, you knew it, right? Yeah, because, yeah. like, somewhere underneath your your gut was is, like, taking A and B and adding them up, and they don't add up to what the game is and telling you. And I think in, in some ways it's kind of a... It's almost a wish-fulfillment kind of experience. Like, it's this, like, getting to go behind the scenes of a thing mm-hmm. has its own weird mm-hmm. like secret happiness or something yeah. especially when you know that the thing you are looking at doesn't isn't right yeah you know like and and uh, I think that's with all of guys you know so I think like um, gone home does that purely in terms of saying like your family is missing Right, like no one's no one's here, and that's a kind of like things aren't right. So everything, all of the all of the narrative that you're that you're um, that you're reading or listening to, and that you're processing yeah. it, you've got this simultaneously. You've got this, but how does it tie into the bigger mystery? Yeah, I always feel like gone home to me. Always feels like someone like holding a shoe up like this, and then just never dropping it, kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing that goes along with everything. Is mm-hmm. this constant like this? You're, like, waiting for something to happen, and that's, like, your second layer, kind of. But you do get to walk around a lot. Well, so, yeah, and so, like, you know, you have that, like, underlying, that very broad, like, question kind of, like, lingering over you. And then a layer above that, you have the actual, like, environment that you're exploring, and you get to walk around and pick stuff up and see and hold things. And then a layer above that, you have, like, audio diaries coming in, right? And so the, the combination of all three of those things is that even if you don't, even if you're not, you're probably not thinking about it. You're not consciously, you know, like, yeah. like um, telling yourself this, but you're doing a lot of work, right? To hold, yeah. all, to hold all of those things like subconsciously in yeah. your experience, you know. Um, and well, there, there's a contrast to them that's really interesting. Where like a lot of, because I think like environmental storytelling is a term that comes somewhat at least from AAA, where it's like someone wrote their name and blood on the wall, yeah, right, right, where right. everybody else died. But those things are all. Um, they're like reinforcement or redundant or something as opposed to, you know, like Gone Home has this texture of like, okay, the house is completely empty. This is kind of spooky, but also nothing is technically wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nothing's out of place. Yep. Nothing's damaged. Yep. Every, everybody, the messages on the answering machine sound fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no sign of distress, but everyone's gone. 
and like there's a yeah like having to resolve that that seems like the like like really important for that process to work or for that process to like stick as opposed and, and to notice it as opposed like Bioshock never ever connected with me for like a moment because like there's a there's an environment full of monsters and there's audio logs that do nothing to contradict that and there's environmental storytelling that only reinforces it like there's right. no right like the only mystery is the mystery they and it's, it's they, they tell you they're like this is a mystery right and like I can't you know uh, it doesn't feel playful it doesn't feel like I'm part of it kind of I don't know I think it works simultaneously the other direction I think that when you take out um, like you know I don't you know we talk about like environmental storytelling and and kind of the you know indie wave of like walking simulators and, and <laughs> sure well yeah, you know yeah. but and, yeah. and what a lot of times I'll see games do is say um, uh, you know like okay so all right, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take like the you know the environmental storytelling that's been established like in AAA games except we're gonna just remove all of the action right all of the the gunplay and, and everything and we're, you're just gonna walk around in an environment and pick up a story right and I don't think that's intrinsically interesting either, right? Like, I don't think that the fact that you are moving through an environment, seeing a story, to me, that doesn't, that's not inherently meaningful. Um, I think that, I think part of why it works, works in air quotes, in many of these AAA games um, is because there's a kind of dissonance between the environmental story and the gun pl- and like the, the action <laughs> sure. yeah right like yeah. the the environmental storytelling is effective be- in a way because it's not the point right and so you're yeah. caught off guard because you're focused on this other thing and then it like it sneaks in right yeah. it's like ha gotcha and you're 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 reading the story right you know <laughs> yeah. look at you yeah. spell for our you know for our tricks yeah um so i think that there has to be hmm. a level of contrast where um, there's some there's some conflict that you're trying to process, right? Like some some conflict that you're you're trying to resolve, and uh, and and that's I, I think that's that's um, even more fundamental than just you know you want it, like you want the story to be quality as well, right? But I feel like uh, I feel like that's the framework that a quality story um, ought to exist on top of for these kinds of games that we're talking about. Or, yeah, I don't like that's that's the kind of thing I. Enjoy, well, I think it's like right? I think it's an interesting it's this interesting situation because like I think there are lots of examples of this in games now, and I think it's. Um, it's hard for me to think of examples of this from, um, like, literature or film or... I mean, I'm sure there are, but this, like, this basic needing to unravel, um, like, the existence of multiple pieces of it. Like, why, like, you know, the, the gone home question of, um, why am I in this completely empty house and why is everything okay mm-hmm. at the same time? Yeah. Um like, uh, is that something special that we get to do in games because you're in a place as opposed to just being shown a place? Man, you know what book I just read recently that that is, I mean, this is the very definition of, of this idea is Infinite Jest. Oh, are you, are you, are you I'm familiar it? with it. So, I mean, Infinite Jest is a, is a thousand page book and you don't really understand what the plot is until page like five or six hundred. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what it's doing is for like 500 pages, it's just throwing chunks at you. 
it's just and they're very well written and they're they're okay, for the yeah, most part yeah, like yeah. very interesting. So you yeah. so you're you know, if they were just chunks of story, then it would yeah. <clears throat> mean. But he's an incredible writer. Oh, I mean, his <laughs> his, his prose is is yeah. stunning. Like the, yeah. it's it's absolutely incredible. And uh, and so like you're engaged and there's a lot of humor in it. You know, it's like yeah. it's this very like you know highbrow uh, intellectual literary you know exploration. Uh, of of the human condition and then dick jokes, right? So it's like <laughs> yeah. so he's he's yeah. got a great flow that keeps which is really... a, which was a Shakespeare thing. Like Shakespeare had a lot of like pretty body jokes, kind of like mixed in. You could tell that they were right. serving that purpose. Yeah, and they're they're powerful yeah. for that. Yeah. And I mean, Infinite Jest is um, uh, uh, built on um, Hamlet. Right. It's, okay. It's, yeah. it's like a it's like a modern re- retelling. Sure. Uh, sure. In air quotes. Yeah. Of, yeah. uh, of Hamlet, so it's that's definitely that's not. True. A yeah, no, I can, now that I'm thinking, yeah, there's a there's a kind of a, a, a sci-fi-ish book called The City in the City by Chan Mabel that I'm really fond of. Feel like it, um, and it has it has this existential question. It's never it's never really clear whether or not it is a weird science fiction city full of dual dimensions or whether everyone there is just basically really really racist mm-hmm. in like an institutionalized. Um, uh, fundamental, like, you know, East Germany versus West Germany kind of way. So it's never really clear if these are two separate cities in a magical interdimensional sense or if it's just, like, the deep, deep, deep politics of people just not seeing Mm -hmm. the other Mm -hmm. side of where they live. Mm -hmm. Um, And it never gets resolved. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's just kind of hanging over. That's That's that weird constant pressure sitting on the thing while while like a, a normal detective story unfolds or whatever right right um, and it is powerful it is weird like yeah. you want it's a thing you want to find out what's happening until you realize that it's not actually important the other thing going on right was right 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 the the payload kind mm-hmm. of when you when you when you say cities it brings to mind uh talo calvino's invisible cities Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you familiar with it? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like every page, almost, it's almost every page is its own description of a, of a fictional city, a city that doesn't exist. And then there is like a, a meta narrative of, that is like of why, of uh, uh, Marco Polo describing these stor- stories of these places to, uh, I believe it's Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the con- is it? Yeah. yeah. Or Kublai Khan, maybe? Maybe. Oh, one yeah, of the Khans. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, yeah, so it's the same thing where you're piecing together, like, meaning between these cities. Like, yeah. what is this? And at some point it becomes kind of explicit about what is the connection between them, but it also leaves it... It's... it's, it's you could piece it together in a thousand different ways. Yeah. You know? So, uh, there's this... Um, there's this term that comes from like a Hemingway quote about like uh, throwing away most of your story and only showing people like the tip of the iceberg yeah, or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, is that do you have like a? Is it all just kind of like gut feelings that you get? Because I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of the way Stanley is built is this: give people little little bits of things and then allow them to kind of draw their own conclusions. And I was wondering if you guys if you had a uh, not like a system for doing that, but um, you know, like uh, pitfalls. Were there places where that didn't work, or uh, you know, a, a style 
or, or whatever of, of approaching this, like, give people little bits of things? Like, is there a, a form factor of little thing that works better than other things? Hmm. Um... It's an interesting question. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm uh, far enough out from development now that the details of that are starting to fade for mm, me. I mean, yeah. even, even a year, you know, a, a year in change since launch, and a lot of those things are, you know, in terms of like specifically what were we throwing out, what, um, yeah, you know, um, I, I, uh, you know, like I said that I said that I was um, I made the original Stanley by myself, and then William was my collaborator on on the new thing. And um, honestly, I am amazed that that the original game turned out all right because uh, I, in retrospect, I think that because like okay, so that game I didn't show that game to anyone before it launched, right? Oh, okay. Like I actually like play tested it. I play tested it like with folks like a few weeks before, like, I launched it, and even then, the only thing that I changed was, like, you can skip the intro, right? So it was something, it was, it was something yeah. like that, and, uh, and, and, but so, it, essentially, I had no feedback the entire time, and there are a few places where it really suffers, one or two places where I think it really suffers for that, but for the most part, like, oh, wow, geez, we got it pretty, pretty bang on, um, but since working on this, on the new version, um, I, uh, you know, as I'm trying to negotiate that balance, right? As I'm trying to, as I'm trying to think about, okay, how do we give them just enough to where their mind really goes places with it, yeah. and not even that. Um, uh, you know, a thing about Stanley's development, and I think this is, I think this has a lot to do with it being my first game, and um, just being young as a as a developer, as a writer, a designer. Um, is that I didn't really do much, um, you know, we say like with tip of the iceberg, like, you know, have yeah. the whole story, but show them only the tip. I really developed from the tip, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. never really developed, it never really, um, I wasn't really consciously thinking about the, uh, about the rest of the iceberg. Which I think is totally fine. Like I built a couple of things and there's a great William Gibson quote that was just going around recently where... He talks about like um, some like role playing game company wanting to develop Neuromancer into. It's a recent quote, but about a story that happened like twenty years ago. And these mm -hmm. guys come to him. They're like, "We love Neuromancer. We want to make like a tabletop role playing game out of this. Talk to us about you know what's the backstory? How's mm -hmm. this thing all put together? What's the underlying economy?" And William Gibson says something like. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> wait wait what? And they're like, "Well like I don't know. What do people eat?" He's like. I don't know, krill or something? What do you... What? Why does this matter? Right. And the guys just left. They're like, well, we can't make a game out of this. And they just took off. Right. Uh, which I love because I think it says a lot about, like, Bibles and world building and all of those things. But also, um, uh, uh, I used to take iceberg theory super literally and build the iceberg first and then try to, yeah. like, you know... Um, and usually picking what to show was a matter of practical consequence more than uh, uh, artistic intent. Mm -hmm. um, but doing that a few times where I was like, I want to do this big thing. I only have two days. 
<laughs> so right. now I'm going to make a very little thing. Right, right. I can't, so we're going to do the tip. I can't imagine that you that you started Cannabalt by going, okay, why is the world falling apart? Yeah, no, that would never happen. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, there needs to be some crap happening, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. You can develop, you can have a sense of what makes a good, um, a good tip. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that's all. I mean, that was in the entirety yeah. of Stanley Parable. But I'm curious because I've never had a good internal definition of that aside from like a Supreme Court pornography style. Uh, yeah. I know it when I see which it. Which is kind of what which is kind of what it was for us. Which was why the fact that I had a had a collaborator now on the on the new project, like someone who is not disillusioned by being me. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I would write stuff and he would. He would like. I remember it's, uh, a bunch of times where, um, like, I was writing. I would write something. I would send it to him, and he'd be like, "That doesn't tell me anything, right?" And it wasn't that he needed like plot. It was like it didn't give him an effect. It didn't didn't hmm. give him like a like a mood that took him to new places. Um, hmm. And and I and I was looking at the things that like if I were working on my own, I would have been like, "Yeah, cool, that's great." Like, show that, right? Yeah, no, I did it. It's great. Uh, which again makes me really wonder how I got the original Stanley working working yeah. all right. Um, and you know, playtest and feedback goes a long way for that. I have had like so many scenarios where um, even where even in a specific moment, I was like, "Okay, in this moment, we're showing you this, but I want it to to hint at." a thing broadly in this form, right? And bring that specific intention and how many times, man, people just play it and just like breeze right over it and don't even see it at all. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know why. I don't have a good, like all that I know is just fucking do it over and, and like show it to more people, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was like, I don't have, a, I, I couldn't really give you a good explanation. I mean, like I think that there are a few like general, um, like I, it's more like I've developed um, uh, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll write a thing and I'll think about how I'm feeling as I'm writing that thing, right? I'll think about like, okay, what's my, what's my mindset right now? What's my kind of gut saying? What's the emotional state of this thing? How is it sitting in my body? Right. Mm -hmm. I'll kind of like keep track of that and I'll go and show it to people and based on their response, if they really liked it, I'll, I'll say, oh, okay, that feeling that I had as I was writing that, that was, that was telling me something that was telling me something good, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if they don't like it, yeah. then I'm like, okay, maybe that feeling led me a bit astray. So mm -hmm. what it's kind of become is uh, less that I know what to make and more that I know what feelings in myself are uh, uh, more likely to evoke a powerful response in someone who plays it. Um, right, right. Which is not, I mean, it's far from like a foolproof method, but it's kind of the best that I've got right now. Yeah, oh, I don't, I have no idea if there, if there is a formula, it's probably super depressing, right? I was sort of, <sighs> yeah. Um, uh, it's, um, I think it's a useful thing for, especially for a small, if you are one, two, three people making a game, um, it's a game, there's no iceberg in that game usually. Yeah. Um, sometimes there is, but most yeah. of the time the, you just can't do it. And so, um, and, uh, and a lot of times it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I'm always just curious what people's approach to that stuff is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with Stanley, um, like I said, I think a big part of it is just being young because I was kind of like, for most of Stanley's development, like, Stanley wouldn't have worked if I 
I would not have made Stanley Parable if I had any formal education in game design. If I had ever been in like an actual studio or like an established like game development kind of institution, mm-hmm. or if I were uh, you know a decade older and more experienced of life, I think because like to develop Stanley was uh, it was it was a punk band affair, right? It was like fuck the world, yeah. or like I'm right. And I know that I'm right, and I'm gonna hammer. A, I'm gonna hammer this shit until it works the way that I want it to work, basically. Right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of Stanley's development was I don't know why, but I need to convey this thing, right? I need it to. I I, I just know that it'll work. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so it was kind of it was the op- it was kind of like coming in at the opposite direction from a lot of traditional development, which was like, okay, now we know the the feeling that the mechanics are going to evoke, so now we've got to figure out the mechanics that are going to like evoke that feeling, right? Or we would, or we would just throw a mechanic at people and find out what ex- what effect did that have on you? Oh, cool, it had that effect. All right, great. Now we're going to build around it, and we're going to like like uh, like take that feeling that you're already. We don't need to design for that because you're already having that. You know, people are already having yeah. that feeling. So like now we're just going to like build to like support and embellish and enhance that. Yeah. Um, and that was all on such a gut level. That was, I mean, all of that was just purely happening. It was like it's a, you know like the pornography thing. Like, well, I don't know what we're doing, but I know when it works. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which takes, like, I feel like it's a thing that um, I used to be very happy to... Um, that was the only way I knew how to build games. And now I feel like I've learned things mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, that uh, supposedly make sense or are helpful. And the one of the side effects is I do not have... Um, Whatever that was, that level of uh, like um, confidence or whatever, or um, uh, whatever that was, I think I don't have as much anymore, and I think that's um, not ideal because I think there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that are worth building that require confidence to carry them over a threshold where they start to work. Yeah. Um, we were joking around earlier before this thing started about like well. Uh, if you're worried that it might not work, you might as well quit now, right? <laughs> um, and, like, Stanley Parable seems like it would have been a very easy thing to quit on. Being young, Coming man. from, like, a, you know... Just being young and not knowing, not having any idea of how much it might hurt if it fails, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, like I just, I didn't, we didn't know. We didn't have any idea. So it was like, well, you just keep doing it because why not, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, if we had stopped to think about it, really, or try to figure out why we were doing this, I mean, we'd, yeah. we would have talked ourselves out of it in seconds, you yeah. know, but we never had that conversation. There was never a, like, is it important that we follow through on this, on this, <laughs> uh, you know, this line of, of, yeah. uh, of logic or design, yeah. like that never, it never for a second. And, uh, and does it cross your mind now? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in a very different way because um, you know, like like you said, I'm I'm not that confident anymore. Um, I'm not. I don't take those things for granted the way that I did uh, working on Stanford. Because the thing I'm curious about is, does taking them for granted make them? more likely to succeed somehow. Like, because there's, there's not, it's not a, like, I don't, I'm not convinced anymore that there's just, like, good idea or bad idea, and it's either going to work or it's not, that, like, somehow going into that with that sort of, like, 
in what in retrospect seems like a crazy level of confidence or, or stubbornness or something mm-hmm. um, makes things work sometimes. Like it carries things over in a way that you couldn't get them there without it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I, I I agree with you, and um, and I have a lot of feelings about this because this has been um, basically my you know everything that we've we've been talking about like tone and storytelling and layers of, of dissonance and narrative. And, um, and in terms of what is important to me and what, what I really care about these days, my focus has really shifted away from those things, away from specifics of narrative and design and environmental storytelling, and shifted much more toward, um, toward this bigger question of my process and the intention that I'm bringing to the thing that I'm working on, which <laughs> I think is a lot less sexy, so <laughs> I don't expect... Like, I think, I, I think it's very likely that Stanley Parable will uh, be the most successful game I ever <laughs> right? Because, because it has that young person's confidence and brashness and kind of, like, middle finger attitude toward the world, right? And that's, like, there's, yeah. you know, that, 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 that's inspiring. That kind of captures an audience, right? Um, and what's on my mind now is, you know, when you asked, when the word that you used was successful, right? Mm-hmm. Does it make this game more likely to be successful. And um, and I have been broadening out my understanding of the word successful lately and trying to, to tease that apart and say, what what is success? Because obviously there is um, financial success, right? Or even just the number of people that played your game, right? You sure. know, a million... Exposure. Yeah, ex- yeah, the number of news outlets that you've been written up on. Um, and, you know, success can also just be... How much did people like it? You know, maybe what well, maybe it wasn't. You know, you, you have a, a someone like Increpare who is not broadly known in you know as a developer, but but um, right, um, yeah. uh, like almost almost undoubtedly. I don't yeah. know who else you'd compare it to. Maybe like Catamites or Porpentine or something, but. Um, but I, yeah. I think pretty undoubtedly, I would say that Increpare like is level the, of work versus. Like the most unbalanced, yeah, between like you know critical and commercial success, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I guess to use apologies that. to Stephen if this is a terrible way of describing <laughs> his work. Well, anyway, I, I didn't mean but, to like pass any judgments about no, 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 how no. anyone thinks about anything. Not at all. I, yeah. Um, so we're, what we were we were saying there's lots of ways success success yeah. a lot of different things. Exactly. Okay, that was what we were. Um, so uh, the thing that the the thing that I didn't really think about. On, while I was working on Stanley was um, to what extent uh, is the success of my game reflected in my own personal happiness and health and well-being as I'm actually developing the game, mm. right? Um, and Which is a youth thing, kind of the, like the idea of self-destruction as a young person yeah. is very foreign, in some ways, not that oh, that like the acts of self destruction, yeah, 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 necessarily, exactly. but the but idea that, that, that you could think cause lasting yeah. damage, yeah, the yeah. idea that you're not invincible. Yeah. No, it's so funny how often I during Stanley, like I would date. I mean, not even like necessarily related to game development, but just that I would make broad life choices that were obviously meant just to make myself uncomfortable because I, you know, because <laughs> I had like a like a guilt or something that, you know, if I'm not suffering enough, like, I'm not, you know, the work isn't going to be... I mean, I always wanted to be, like, healthy and happy, but I didn't know... I didn't have any real idea of what that meant 
clearly enough to be able to take some action around it, right? Yeah. It was always like it was like the work was always the most important thing. You know, it's always it's always in service of you know like translating it into something interesting for your game, yeah. and and certainly Stanley was was me trying to go, um, me saying like you know like frustrated that the world didn't get me, right? Mm-hmm. And like like. Like, I, I felt, you know, like, looking back on that game now, right, like, I made that by myself in college. It's a game about a person who is utterly alone, who is stumbling through contradicting pathways, <laughs> telling them where to go, and communicating only with the voice in his head, right? <laughs> Pretty subtle. Yeah, right? There's, you, you can, uh, I don't think it's hard to understand what kind of state of mind I was in at that time. And that's just not like, um, that's not the space that I want to, I, I know, I see now that that's not the space I want um, to be in. And to, to jump back to, to the earlier conversation, um, you know, like we were saying about, about Cannibal and about like success at Stanley, that um, I had like set myself up for um, the for the launch of the Stanley Parable remake to have a very negative effect on my health because uh, because I had not particularly prioritized I had not really been thinking about it and so I left myself very vulnerable to um, hmm. to a lot of uh, you know I I had put my insecurities so nakedly and and um, so unthinkingly into this work that to suddenly be um, uh, um, to suddenly have those things expressed um, so broadly did I was not prepared for hmm. um, you know it's like you think you think to your when you're young you think like any amount of attention is good right you're kind of like what however people right. however people like me at least they like me right? right but you don't know who you are so you don't really know what it is that they're liking right yeah. like when someone writes you an email and says like you changed my life and i'm like and they tell you they write like i had people write like pages of email about like their life and what they've been going through and you and assume, like even though you made the game because you thought that what you wanted was to have meaningful conversations with people and to learn about them and for them to learn about you, suddenly, like that's not just one isolated incident. You're getting like hundreds of those emails, right? And and it you can't process it. You can't do it. And you know I made myself so vulnerable and I was trying hmm. so hard to be there for every person because I felt like you had a personal connection with my work therefore I owe it to you to like listen to your shit now you you know you spent time like listening through mine yeah. and uh, and I had no sense of personal space and of uh, psychological space hmm. um, yeah oh man it sounds a little bit like this is kind of, I, I don't even, this is massively trivializing the experience, but there's like a you, you were talking earlier about um, making Stanley Parable this thing that could sort of uh, slyly convince people to kind of open themselves up to like this kind of sobering experience, and it sounds like making the Stanley Parable sort of that, but like turned like. Way, 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 way up. Yeah, all the right, way up. right, right. It's exactly what it was. Oh man. Yeah. 
Uh, I can see how that would be not super healthy. Yeah, it had a very it had a very negative impact on my on yeah. my um, psycho psychological health for <laughs> uh, for a while. And um, and I mean, you know, like like I, I said to you before, you know, before we started recording, that um, today I am and by so you know, I, whenever this will will come out, yeah, yeah, as of uh, December twenty fourteen, <laughs> um, I'm doing great. You know, I am so happy, and I'm I'm I feel so like I'm I'm handling myself so well, and I'm treating my work with the with the health and the respect that um, I mean, you know, obviously. Um, you're always learning, but it's so much better now than it was. And, uh, and the reason that it is is because I fucked it up so badly, <laughs> you know, it's cause I learned, sure. yeah. I learned how awful, uh, uh, you know, it's like, it's like you might, you might have like a small instance in your life of, um, of like a, you know, thing where, you know, you made yourself really vulnerable in a really stupid way and it hurt, but it didn't hurt badly enough to incite, to get you to actually do something about it. Yeah, there's some kind of, there's an actual psychological term for this that they use for, like, it's why, like, uh, uh, the, the sort of probably atrocious example was, like, um, women who get really mad at their husbands for not doing the dishes, but then forgive them for having affairs. Mm -hmm. Where, like, there's a level of trauma that can trigger... Uh, like a uh, uh, an actual like recovery mm-hmm. and like uh, uh, what what's the right word? This isn't the right word for it. Um, it can trigger like a response where you actually have to deal with it and try to rationalize it and justify it and make sense of it, yeah. as opposed to like the little things uh, which you just get angry about. Exactly, uh, and it ends up looking really weird and lopsided. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. Because you know, like by logic, you think it would be the opposite, right? The yeah, smaller yeah. things are easier to deal with, <laughs> so therefore, like, yeah, it's so, yeah, yeah. this is so small. So obviously, this <laughs> yeah. should be easy to, yeah. right? But um, but it wasn't. It really wasn't until um, you know Stanley like uh, you know collapsed me into into depression um, that that I had to like really re- like do some some very deep internal looking so mm-hmm. to speak uh and I did you know and I I mean I I made massive changes to my life and I've, um I've recovered and it's like I, some a, a way that I've often described the the experience of going through that is that um uh prior to going through all of that my emotional spectrum was about this big I guess we're on the the radio right now or whatever so like you know it was, <laughs> yeah. it was a certain size right yeah. like there's this amount of good that I can feel and this amount of bad that I can feel it's like this um, you know um, one dimensional spectrum of how far uh, yeah. how fa- how good you can feel and how bad you can feel and so what Stanley did was it pushed the bad side like my capacity for how bad like I could feel or be as a person, it pushed it way farther in that direction, right? Yeah. But the weird thing is that it has a kind of reciprocal effect where it simultaneously pushes the good side way farther in the hmm. good direction, the capacity for good, yeah. right? Um, and so what happens is that on both ends, I, I learned that I have a capacity for both good and bad far, far greater than I had thought that I had, Right. Yeah. Um, even though, even though I was going, I was purely on the bad, you know, side of things. I, I, yeah. I, I, on some intuitive level, I knew like, okay, 
This means that when I rebound, when I come back from this and I dig myself out of this, I'm going to go not just to being good, like, like not just to the way that things were before, but yeah. I'm going to go far beyond that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, um, hmm. I'm going to slingshot up into, uh, you know, being a, a good person in whatever personal way that that means for me, uh, in a way that I hadn't known before. And hmm. like, I, I, I intuited that on some level. Like I just, I had some knowledge of that. Well, I think as I started to recover, I started to realize that like, oh, this is going to take me to like a much better place. And it really, really did, you know? Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Huh. Um, uh, let's see, I guess that's about all I have. Um, uh, my only other note here is, um, I, I just kind of, uh, this isn't even going to be in the form of a question, but, uh, I like the way that the, that the Stanley parable seems to sort of um, live a little bit outside of, I think, our ideas of uh, genre and convention and elevator pitch. It's not to, like it's not to say that it's necessarily, you know, um, a, a revolutionary game or anything like that. It's just that uh, it has um, it has this quality of a larger concern, like that. There's a. a it's, I feel like it comes through in all the different parts, uh, uh, you know, the demo and the blog posts and the game itself uh, and all of that stuff that there is a, um, there's a philosophy under it that is the important thing and that everything is just kind of like a manifestation of that as opposed to, um, you know, uh, uh, and that it's, it's better for that as opposed to, you know, saying like, okay, let's make a good game and figure out where we fit in the marketplace in that genre for this demographic or whatever. Not that, I mean, most people don't do that consciously, but I think that's definitely something that I've done on, you know, small game. I want to make a little puzzle game. What's been done already? And there's not necessarily, um, uh, like a philosophy or a larger goal that, um, that I'm trying to achieve. It's more just like, let's, let's play around in this space and find a thing. Um, but it, um, it can be really hard to uh, start from there and find... Sometimes they'll find the philosophy underneath and you can see how it can manifest itself in different ways. But sometimes it's just kind of... Um, it's just kind of not there and it feels like when that big thing is there that it sidesteps a lot of... Um, in some ways, it, uh, the uh, things that I would consider to be kind of challenges of making an indie game in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's kind of cool. Oh, man, it's... it's. I mean, it's easy. No, sorry, it's not easy. It's not, that's not at all what I meant to say. Um, when you've done that, when you know that you're there, uh, it feels like cheating after that point. Because it yeah. feels... Because so few other people operate in that mindset that capturing a kind of mind share is it, it like it felt like cheating with Stanley Parable because it was like um, uh, you know we can do something that no like this demo we can do something that no one else is doing just because there is a core um, 
I, I mean, I, I, I call it like an emotional core, right? That yeah. is consistent. That that you know, I guess I guess that being the the iceberg below the surface that the tip is pointing at, you yeah. know, um, that's not about like plot necessarily, but it's it's um, I mean something that I will never properly be able to articulate because we yeah. don't really have good language for it, right? That that invisible connective tissue behind ideas. Yeah. Well, I love this. There used to be a word for this, but this idea of um, you've got a big invisible shape and kind of like like unfinished swan. You can kind of like throw a little bit of paint on it and you'll start to see pieces of it and you'll start to see where, you know, where you'll never really define it. There's never really going to be a, a formula for what that thing is, but you can start to see where it is by kind of like exploring around it and you can build all these things that kind of point to the middle yep. so that even if you can't really talk about it, even if there's not a specific word for it or a way of like just telling somebody this thing by like, there's a point where you can define it anyway by creating all these things that kind of like yeah. aim in. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I think that that as you abstract that out, I mean, it gets to, it gets to, um, you know, conversations about the collective unconscious and, and the archetype. And, uh, I mean, this is, you know, to like get really fucking, you know, <laughs> uh, bad shit about it. But I, but I, I mean, I, I think about that, you know, sometimes and it's less of a, um, you know, it's not something I, that, that you ever design for. It's, you know, it's more like a, it's more like a mirror. It's more like a, a reflection back at you of the, of the quality of, of like intention that you're bringing to a thing, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I would never say that um, nothing in Stanley was like there was designing Stanley was never about like here's the goal and we're gonna like we're gonna reverse engineer that specific goal of right. of of, of um, you know uh, an answer made of signs pointing toward an answer, right? Like that's yeah um, uh, that even though we would like to do that if I started with that prompt I would be I would be fucking you know I mean like Stanley started because I mean the reason that that, that game happened was because I didn't know how to use source very well like all I knew was like empty hallways and embedding sound files <laughs> yeah. so yeah. therefore I figured out a thing I could do with the tech right that's where it came from right, you know right. but like from there when it's constra- yeah exactly Right. Yeah. So, but then as you start unraveling that thread, and I mean, I'm sure that I could have given you could have given that prompt like the two doors and an narrator that says like you know, uh, right, two doors and a narrator, right? Like where where could you go with that? You could go in a billion different directions with mm-hmm. that, and and I think that without without it being, um, I think as as the game started to come together, I started to see that that was what I wanted it to be. Was that I wanted it to be a um, I wanted it to be an answer made entirely of sign signposts right yeah. and um but but it was it was like that that started to emerge over time and then when we get to like the remake and we get to making the demo um this is a, this is a test now it's like oh okay well we've got to figure out whether or not this this idea is as cohesive as we thought it was right you know we're talking about we're talking about a game the the, the game itself is this way the game itself is discrete chunks uh, that seem to have no apparent connection, but that you can tell that there is an emotional core that centers them, right? Yeah. So, okay, now we have to push that even further. Now we're really going to test that. And if this works, then it means that, uh, it, you know, it, it means that there is, like, that, that emotional core behind it. And the fact that it did work, um, I guess all it tells me is that 
I really like to make that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what meaningful conclusion to draw from that. I can't, it's not like a thing that I can distill and yeah. say, and like, you know, it's like a set of, of bullet points, you know, five easy steps for, <laughs> right. right? It's just like, I really like that. And so it's worth it. It's a val, it, it's, it's valuable enough to me, you know, in terms of like when you're, when you're making something and you're sitting down, like, what are the, what are the, the, what are the what's the purpose for this thing existing right like what's the deeper kind of like emotional intention that you have around this thing and uh, and I just learned through my work that that's very important to me right mm-hmm. that 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 invisible shape you know yeah. um, and I I don't I don't know I mean I'm sure in the course of like you know chatting with me about this stuff it's you probably like oh okay this is kind of just who you are you enjoy you you know you enjoy this this kind of verbosity slightly for its own sake but also uh, in that it points at a deeper collective truth right mm-hmm. okay so that's that's this kind of person that you are and um and and I, in a way that's um i feel very reluctant to i mean these days i i'm so reluctant to like um, I, I don't write blog posts anymore about design. I, mean, I rarely do interviews, you know, like I know that I can talk with you and have like a good chat, but um, for the most part, when I'm put on the spot about it, I just, I, I kind of like freak out and I, and I realize I don't understand why any, why that works. I realize that it's just coming from like, I really like this. And so I'm willing to work hard enough to, to make it, you know, it, it doesn't work for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. most of the things that you make and then, but you care about it enough that you just like keep doing it and doing it and doing it until yeah. it does work. And I can't, like, there's no way I want to, like, I feel like I would be disappointing someone if they, like, if, you know, a young developer came to me and said like, Hey, I love this like style. How do you, how do you do this? Like, what is this? How can I bring this like you know, deeper intention to a work where I could make other media that would also fit inside of that, inside of that space. I wouldn't, I it would, like, there's no answer that I could give that would, that wouldn't sound like I was being just a total douchebag. Right, you know? right, 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 right. Like, well, you got to yeah. care enough. Right, <laughs> right, right. What right. is that? That's the most well, awful thing to try, say. To try someone. working hard. Try working, yeah, try, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, like, no one wants to hear that. No one no. wants to to be told that and, yeah. and so I honestly I kind of just like distance myself from it for the most part because then I start overthinking and analyzing it and then that goes yeah too you know yeah yeah and I don't think there's a I mean to be totally like the goal of bringing this up wasn't to discover the formula yeah. but um, I'm I I like it because I feel like it hints at um, uh, you know for an industry that has that is um has a very technical or an art form even that has a very has roots in things that are very technical and has roots in things that are very very commercial. Um, you know the uh, the idea of using um, a technical commercial thing uh, to express an idea, but to uh, and to express it through doing is a thing that people talk about a lot, and I feel like doesn't maybe doesn't happen that much. And even when it does happen, it has this. Um, uh, I don't know what to call it exactly. It has a texture and it's not like, you know, it's not that it's an edgy game or something, but, uh, uh, I feel like a lot of the idea of, um, 
you know, meaning through mechanics or meaning through gameplay is super interesting and super valid and kind of has its own weird texture. Um, and it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that there's an underlying... Uh, that there's an underlying philosophy that, um, you know, everything in the game has to bend to to accommodate. Like, I think that's the thing about um, Stanley that's pretty uh, conceptually beefy is the idea that um, uh, that there's a thing happening and that the game, in many ways, even though the thing came from the game initially, by the end, it feels like the game is um, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word, uh, subject to it or, like, controlled by it or has to submit to yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't matter if that means changing the genre mm-hmm. or um, changing what you're doing in the game or... Um, uh, making the game turn into other games for a while, if necessary. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like I know part of that is like the format of the game itself that allows that to happen. Um, but um, I think as a, uh, you know, I don't think we I don't think we ever question in a uh, in a movie if the movie cuts and there's some wacky interlude or there's a commercial or something that's part of the movie but is stylistically very different or there's an animated sequence or whatever and I feel like it's um, uh, it's it's really nice to see um, see an idea like just to have it have a strong idea and have it be able to express itself in different ways um, and it's something that I feel like doesn't happen that much because like express like expressing something in a game is so is so technical in the first place, yeah. um, I don't know. Again, <laughs> uh, yeah. not not phrased in the form of a question properly, but um, uh, uh, just something. Uh, it is a, a neat quality of uh, of the thing. I agree, and I you know you you can play you can play a game and you can tell like that they got it. I mean, there there was a they knew what this was below the game that they knew. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, probably my uh, uh, absolute like favorite of of this kinds of experience lately is you know Kentucky Route Zero, which oh, is yeah. which is I mean that game is the tip of the tip of the iceberg, right? That game is yeah. like. Like, you know that game is like oh there are there are icebergs upon icebergs below this <laughs> and uh, and yeah. I am I am so small I am so goddamn small in the face of the yeah. the scope of what is below the water's surface here yeah um, and you know we, it's it's pornography it's like we can point to it we can be like that's it they yeah. did it but yeah. I it's because it works I guess who knows yeah, why. I mean you, you yeah you can't boil it down I've had to push a couple of people to go back and play it again because they play uh, like chapter one and they're like yeah it was kind of an adventure game I guess but it didn't really have any puzzles I'm like yeah but you gotta play chapter two yeah. like yeah. Th- there's a reason there there's yeah. not like. There's no room for puzzles in here, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you don't get it. You don't get it. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. right. Uh, There's a forest for the trees thing happening here. Yeah. Uh, Literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 well, just I, I, I don't, I, I, um, 
Um, it's a beef thing, and I guess this for me, this all is coming from like uh, this comes from a place of really not um, as a person who makes things. Sometimes, like this, has never been a part of my DNA as a creator or a thing that I've been interested in, and it's a thing that bites back sometimes because I think, um, as you said, like once you like muscle through this hard idea for two or three years and you get it you finally get it to this place where it really has its own identity or its own life then um uh it's a little bit like cheating or whatever um not like it makes it sound like some part of that process was easy it's like cheating on a test that you studied rigorously for (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. Uh, but you get to the point where you have this thing that's just it's a very it's a very powerful uh uh meme or um, uh, thing um, again hard to define yeah or right. whatever but there's yeah. like there's there's real power in there and I think a lot of um, games that I would describe as high concept um, uh, in one way or another um, that makes it sound like concept came first which is also bad like uh, which I think is untrue uh, but um, that's like a that's such a powerful thing and it's never something that um that I've had or even like been interested in enough to pursue and follow through to this thing. So it's, uh, it's almost like, um, uh, I feel like I'm kind of like, I, uh, cause I talked to Daniel Benmergi mm-hmm. who's, um, you know, done some work like this and, um, I'll occasionally talk to, I think Mark Tenbosch is a designer who's doing some stuff like this too. And, um, uh, Chris Hecker probably like there's the there are definitely there's a handful of designers and games that have this kind of hand in hand like oh it's you know it's it's this it's got this like boiled down thing and um, never had my brain in that space like uh, the idea of making like a game that's about that's <laughs> making a game that's about something mm-hmm. is uh, something I find very difficult like. Uh, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what makes it so hard for me to engage with as a designer. Because I think it's important. Like, almost all the games that really meant something to me, uh, many of them have this quality. Um, and I cannot produce them. That's true of a lot of side. There's, like, a lot of games that I cannot make. They're very, very large games that I like very much that I cannot make. But then there are these... Um, in some ways smaller games um, but they have this strong unifying idea and it's not a thing that um, not a thing that I can do so I'm always curious how it works so that's where a lot of this, that's where a lot of these yeah. questions have been coming from yeah. it's just a sense of like like how does that uh, and maybe it's like just like an imposter syndrome thing or something like not not well, as, I, not, I, as a, not as artist, but I mean, like I, as person. I'm always like, what is it like to have like emotions and make things about them? Because like, I always like, so. I mean, I have the same thing in the opposite direction, where I'm like, what's it like to make a video game? Right? <laughs> like, I because I don't I don't really know how to like design a game. You know, I don't know how to like in, use mechanics to like balance or you know even just the idea of like of, like gameplay balance is like <laughs> right. never even I mean, and I've tried like on a handful of occasions and they've just bombed right like to do something that was like more had more of like goals or objectives but like but I'm, I'll be I'll be coming at it you know 
I'll be trying to play it both ways, right? I'll be trying to both have it be goal-oriented and simultaneously not about the goals. And yeah. the and it just I I can't I can't do it, right? Or I haven't learned. I, I'm sure it's like it's like anything. If you can work hard yeah. enough at it, and, and eventually you can you can train yourself to do it. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, it's you know when I when I said that like um, the, the game that came to mind for me that did that really well recently was Desert Golfing. Uh, I feel like Desert Golfing was this perfect blend of mechanic and game, but also this was really about something. And it did it on the simplest possible level. Utterly joyous, joyous game. Um, Desert Golfing is really punk. Like, that is a deeply punk game. Um, Hmm. So, I mean, Stanley Parable has, like, goals and objectives and things, but they're, I guess, they're not, they're not mathy or something. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, is it, are those things just not, um, I, this, this is way too much like a broad proclamation or something, but, like, there's, is there, you think there's tension there between um, providing someone with a puzzle or a sport that, because um, uh, I mean, puzzles and sports can have like an underlying thing that you find sometimes. I've had that experience personally; it's been very powerful. But those things that you find are definitely different from uh, what I feel. You know, what my experience with the Stanley Parable was like, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's. I don't know if the sport sporty puzzle thing like gets in the way or uh, or if it's just more conducive to exploring other truths Uh, I mean to use you know someone like Ingrapare as an example I mean he's he's done everything right he's done (laughs) narrative games he's done puzzle games I mean he's just made them and 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 the reason he can do it the reason he knows how to do it is because he's made hundreds of, of, of each of them Right, like yeah. every every <laughs> yeah. style, yeah. and so like when it he's like I, my my perception is that like he's at a point where he can merge those things because he's so skilled in both of them. Um, I was talking mm. with with Ben Esposito about mm. um, English Country Tune, yeah, and and he and I both agreed that English Country Tune has a story, and mm. uh, and for Ben, what what he really liked was that um, to him it was about a uh, a recluse father. Right, like someone, like like a person who's there to like teach you about the world and like make sure that you know what to do, but is never gonna congratulate you, never yeah. gonna never gonna affirm that you're doing well, right? Right, right. Uh, and about like the distance between, uh, you know, the distance between the emotion of learning something and the the raw technical skill of learning it, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and, and patience, yeah. And having to just be with it until until that understanding of what it is clicks, and then yeah. when you and then when you get that when you get that you're you're doing it for yourself, right? You're yeah. you know as opposed to like uh, you know doing this in order to like solve the like you know in the use the father example like right? to like you know please please this other person right to prove right, that right. you to prove that you are like smart yeah. enough to solve a puzzle, but then you can't do it. Until you've let that go and you've learned to just sit with yeah, it. Yeah, you have to play it on your own terms after a while. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. And that kind mm. of, I mean, to me, and so I look at that and I'm like, okay, well, that came at the end of 
him making hundreds of both deeply yep. emotional narrative things and yep. deeply, deeply technical, puzzly things. And uh, that's, I guess that's how I explain it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe he's just, maybe he's just intrinsically genius. <laughs> he's just automatically that I I'm suspicious that's a, that's at least like a tiny bit true. Right? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, well, I think that I mean I I definitely do think that you know you have some intention yeah. that you bring to it as a person and you yeah. build around that. Um, but this is this is why it's it's become so much more important to me to to focus on you know like I said like on my personal health and sanity and making sure that like. I'm well taken care of because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm not, if I'm not like present enough to be able to like focus on the things that I do well, then it doesn't matter how good my intentions are because I'm not going to, I'm not yeah. going to be able to evoke those things in the best way. Yeah. Um, and I think that focusing on, you know, I think we have a lot of, we focus on a lot of externalities. We focus on a lot of, uh, you know, metrics, metrics for success, like, you know, player data and feedback and sales and whatever. And, and, yeah. you know, we, we, uh, we talk about like, here are the steps to good design. Here are the ABCs and here are the, you know, I'm not, not saying that those aren't like great resources to have, but I yeah. do think it's a forest for the trees kind of scenario where, uh, where there's something bigger at play that you're not going to, you're not going to know until you're deeply comfortable enough with yourself to, hmm. um, to have the confidence to, to evolve and dig those things out, right? Yeah. yeah. And I really liked the, your observation earlier of these things. You know, I think being, being honest about the things that you like enough that you are able to spend enough time with them to... Um, I guess I either refine or explore or both get those things to the point where, um, where they are special, I think is a, I think that's a really, a, like just a basic truth thing or a, a definition of talent even is just like, it's not that it's not that you're inherently were inherently good at it from birth, but you, maybe you, you brought a, uh, a, a liking of a thing an inclination yeah. uh, to do a thing without getting so frustrated that mm-hmm. you quit or something. And then that allows you to be in a place where uh, you can build up a sort of set of skills or familiarity with the territory. I think that's very, very true. Um, uh, cool, man. I mean, if I were, if I were making... If I continued making games like exactly the way that I made Stanley Parable, I'd be dead when I was thirty-five. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, there's yeah. no way I'd be able to. Do well, it. yeah, and I like this idea of so yeah, so maybe um, maybe we lack the confidence slash pragmatic stupidity that we used to have that resulted yeah. in producing a certain kind of game. But there are there are games that I could not have made five years ago that I can make mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Even though, so like, you know, it's maybe a change more than a loss. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the gain. The I mean, for me personally, the gain of it is such a, a deeper internal self love, right? Yeah. Like, a, like I'm I'm I can take care of myself better, and that I mean, that's a whole side to this that's you know important. Yeah. That's yeah. like that's that's yeah. become very important, and, and like maybe you know maybe my work will get more boring. Right, like maybe it will become like less yeah. less interesting. Uh, and I, you know, 
I, I've got to accept that that's that's going to be true. I've made my peace with that. Some it level, took a little yeah. while, but yeah. Right, right, and and, uh, and but I do think that what I'm I do think that the the stuff I'm working on and the the things that that are important to me, I think that they're very to me they're very meaningful. I mean, they're equally as meaningful to me now as Stanley Parable was to me then. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference maybe then was that uh, I I wanted to please more people, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and now that and now that that is less and less interest interesting to me, I'm probably going to make games that reach less of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the intention is to the intention for me is to is to make peace with that so that um, the uh, you know like whereas with Stanley I had so many it, it, it enabled far more connections than I was capable of emotionally processing. Right. And I'm like right. okay, well. I need to get myself to where I'm okay with less reception. I need to work on that so that, so that, so that that's out of the way. And then I can focus on just having very, like a small number of much more meaningful connections so that I'm taken care of as a person. Yeah. Um, and, and then I will live beyond 35. And I I think you need that because I think it's, um, if you can't make peace with, especially after something, Making something that resonates with a lot of people is its own special thing. There's like a breadth of impact that uh, is uh, very powerful as a person who makes things. Uh, but the um, uh, you know we can't. I've never I've never felt like I had a lot of control over that happening. So for me, a big part of making peace with um, having some projects that won't have as much reach as others was just embracing there are some things that are out of my control. There are some projects that are not going to happen to click with people in a way that makes them talk about them in a way that produces a word-of-mouth spiral that is conducive to creating the conditions in which, like, a mass... Like, there's a lot of, like butterfly flapping its wings in Shanghai kind of things happening in that process. And uh, I definitely had to, like, at some point go, like, okay, that's out of my hands. I'm going to make things. Yeah. Right. But if you're, like, the thing that that we never really talk about is that the way that you relate to the reception is actually a, a choice. Right, like mm-hmm. well, I feel, I feel like oftentimes we take it for granted that either your game gets reception and that's good, or it doesn't get reception and that's bad. And uh, and right. and what's often not accounted for is the personal internal decision to let a certain kind of reception mean a certain kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and in many ways, you cultivate that relationship. You or know. your or a lack. I mean, my um, my favorite game I made in the last two or three years. Uh, still, no one has played. Almost no one has Castle. heard of uh, uh, this thing called Cubic Space. Oh, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, see, <laughs> it's way the best thing I've made. I'm so happy with it. It's such a beautiful little, tiny, simple thing. It's just mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it uh, at all. It's way the best game I've ever designed. It, and it wouldn't have been... It references um, 
some work that Zach Gage did really heavily, but that he can never show. So it's kind of like, is a tribute to that project, and it's this just mathematical gem, mm-hmm. and no one's ever going to see it. No, I, I mean, people have. It's out. You can go play it. And no, like nobody played it. Most people who play it don't care about it at all, but it's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's still like my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know if I would have had that feeling if the same thing happened five years ago. Yeah. You know, and I made the same like, oh, I got it all figured out now, and it didn't get a big reception. I would have just felt like, like stayed up crying and drinking. And- uh, <laughs> no, it would have been wor- much worse. <laughs> it would have been oh, the it's a bad game. Yeah, uh, the math is bad, or the goal mm-hmm. is bad. Like, and I need to re-examine my priorities or whatever, rather than I can look at it and go, oh, it didn't run the mass appeal gauntlet, and probably I didn't work, I didn't work nearly hard enough on making sure that the game communicated itself to players. Like, I can see specific, uh, some specific flaws and some bad dice rolls, and I'm totally fine with that. But I don't know if that would have been true four or five mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I absolutely agree that it's huge because, like, if that if that wasn't a thing that was totally fine, last Christmas would have been so disastrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it would have been the beginning of the end. Like, I would have been I would have worked on different projects this year. Yeah. Um, I would have I I don't know gone to work on Facebook games or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been horrible. But either way, I mean, it's. I, I, it seems like you've had other experiences like that at those times in your life when you did when when you would have had that response, and then those in turn are why you don't have that response to to cubic. Oh yeah. yeah. So there's there's always like it has something yeah, has, to, has to fit years that slot. Of yeah. Colossal idiotic responses to things. Right. And, right. And right. Learning to put those things in perspective. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, one of the most, one of the, the most fortunate things for me about Stanley Parable is that it happened to me when I was 25, right? And, you know, because, I mean, it could have happened at any other time. It could have happened when I was 35 yeah. or 45 or whatever, right? Uh, and the fact that it happened at that point in my life is, yeah. I, I mean, the effects of that on, on me and, you know, my sanity, I, I mean, that, I, it's going to have such a more meaning, such a broader impact on my life. Because, yeah. you know, every year earlier that happens is another year that you then get to benefit and then grow what you yeah. know about that on top of the foundation that you've already had. You know, um, I mean, it's like it's exponential. You yeah. know, the more like the more time that you have to work on it, the more. We get this weird grows. feeling where it's like, uh, you're like, oh, wow, that was that was that was rough. I learned a lot. Oh, uh, this is interesting. This is because I love to make mistakes. I've like I'm like internalizing this sense of like oh messing up is really interesting. It makes me better at lots of things. I've got a lot of time to mess mm-hmm. up yeah. in the future, and that's not that's like genuinely not terrifying. Yeah, that's like right. as something I anticipate. I look forward to is like okay, how can we engineer a situation in which I can safely fail many times? Right, and right. like. Right. And level up by doing so. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. And I'm, I, I'm, I say this to, to like friends all the time, but I'm really looking forward to getting a little bit older. <laughs> it's, it's like all my, all yeah. my friends, all my like good friends who are like older than 30, right? Yeah. You know, you know, 
35, 40 or whatever, kind of yeah. say like, yeah, man, like at some point you realize like it really doesn't matter. Yeah, right? there's a really kind of delicious, it's not apathy really either. Like it's, it's something better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, oh, 45, that's... Yeah, gonna, I know, that's right? That's going to be the sweet like, spot. Like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> I, I will have been just... Like, what I look forward to is, like, a... a like, a... Like, a getting stuff... Like, having having to throw away things, yeah. kind of. Like, oh, I thought this was really important for a while. And I found... Like, it's like a getting to put all of my things to the test. And, like, another decade of this. Like, I can look back on the last five years and go, like, wow. Like, a lot got left behind in the grinder back there. Another, like, ten years of grinder. And yeah. I'm going to come out the other side just this, like, emotional... Highly like, refined like, diamond of, of <laughs> yeah. emotional stability. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know, right? I, I think about that all the time. <laughs> I, I, I actually... Like, not that I'm, not that I'm like eager to get older necessarily but yeah. like I have no I'm not even the kind of like you know yeah. getting older is gonna suck kind of thing you know I'm I can't wait yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's good man to getting older <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be good yeah um that's all I have in here um I have there is like one stock question that I've been throwing at people which is um uh just like something that I'm kind of interested in, which and which may not be applicable here, which is totally fine. But do you remember? Uh, maybe this is really inapplicable to Stanley Parable specifically, because the question is: Was there a time on the project where, on a game where there was, uh, you had to sort of uh, break a rule in order to achieve the effect that you wanted? Um, so a lot of people I talk to is like, oh yeah, on this one, so the, the bad example I give is like, oh, on Cannibal, we put these crates in where you can slow down whenever you want, which doesn't make sense in an arcade game. There should be this constant, uh, you know, uh, ramp of difficulty on, and in Cannibal, you can slow down whenever you want. You can just kind of play at your own pace, which in retrospect makes lots of sense. Yeah. Um, but at the time it felt very, um, subversive, but I guess that's the whole point of the whole Stanley Parable. It is kind of yeah. <laughs> I well, I mean, and if anything, the the places where we broke the rules were where we did something more traditional. In yeah, order let's to... flip it. Was there a place in the Stanley Parable <laughs> where just... you had to do something really so, conventional? Something really conventional. Um, uh, well, I was going to say achievements, but even then, we we managed to make that really. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So one one thing that we did uh, along those lines, I'll try to think of the, if there's anything else, but. Um, with the achievements, uh, you know, because we have achievements, but they're all generally, like, very kind of whimsical and silly, and they just do totally off-the-wall things by trying to achieve them or even looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but one of them is, you know, there's a main story branch that you can go down if you follow everything the narrator says. So we have an achievement for speedrunning the game, for beating the game in under 4 minutes and 22 seconds. And the reason we came to that number is because... Uh, there are certain um, there are certain ways that the system works where depending on what you do throughout the game as you're playing it, the game will adjust and adapt to future to like the future instances of you playing that game, right? So you have okay. to like set it up. 
correctly. So you have to you have to have played it enough times to where it's gotten to the correct site to the cycle to the fastest cycle of those uh, of those instances. And then there's a random element that you have to replay until you get this one random element. And then if you do that, and if you line it up, and if you like walk as quickly as possible toward you know like toward every like closest uh, you know point like in a straight line mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, and hit everything as fast as possible, uh, it takes about four minutes and 22 seconds, like, to complete that, right? And that was so much fun, because it was the first, like, uh, systemic puzzle. Systems-based <laughs> yeah, puzzle, yeah, yeah. right? And that was the only thing it's in the entire game. It's an puzzle. It's an actual systems-based puzzle, right? That I, <laughs> I, and I was so happy that we got something It does like have gameplay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I was really happy we got that in. And then what was funny was, I mean... I was I was really happy when a few people did like speed runs of the Stanley Parable because like there's one guy who I don't know was he played through like twelve endings or something and he said like these are the twelve endings that count we don't have any like official you know thing for that but uh, mm-hmm. he picks twelve and was like these are the ones I'm gonna do uh, you know to speed run but then um, some but a few people actually started like taking this this challenge of this you know complete the main course in this amount of time and uh, and what they found was that so I don't know if you remember there is there's a room where you're like turning on the monitors that are like all in you around in a circle mm-hmm. and uh, and as you're doing that like platforms are lifting up making it so you can continue to like walk on to the next platform to to progress and so so some speedrunners found out that in on the first platform in that room there is a chair that you can actually get up onto from which you can step up onto the railing, right? This was a bug we didn't we didn't catch yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but like we left it after release because we were like, that's cool, whatever. You know, people want to do this. So this, this person found out that he that he could get up onto the rail and then walk and then fall off the rail onto exact like in the it's like just black below you, right? Mm-hmm. Onto the exact point where the next. Um, Lift where the next uh, like like railing was rising up that was that is supposed to like take you to the next one. It's like it rises up and then doors open so you can walk it. So uh, so he he was able to jump off like onto the rail and into the dark as it was rising up. So he knew where it was and then jumped f- and then was still on the rail because he was on top of it from because he landed on top of the rail walked across that to the next one. And then jumped on top of that, and so he skipped. So it's supposed to like make you wait for yeah. like the rail to rise up, and then the doors open, and then you can start walking. Yeah. So he skipped all of that, and he shaved like ten seconds off of our time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that made me so happy. Yeah, right. So it's got actual like good like Half Life engine. It's, like, yes, it's like a real. And... Yes, it's a real thing. And, like <laughs> that was one of those uh, you know to see oh. someone. To see someone break the rules in Stanley yeah. Parable by doing the conventional thing with it and like <laughs> yeah. actually getting something meaningful. And actually, out of it. like they actually broke. Is that the only case where someone broke the game that wasn't narrated and acknowledged? Uh, as no, the part because that's like the, one of the things that you do. Spoiler alert! Yes, yeah. is, is quote unquote break the game. Well, there, there are a few other things that people figure. So people figured out a few other like little glitches where they were able to 
um, step up like again like oh get over a rail somehow and oh, fall yeah, yeah, down yeah. onto the ground somewhere right and yeah. so uh, yeah a handful of people figured out figured out these kinds of tricks yeah um, and it was always really fun but this I really appreciated be, this it one be, it would be so awful if you took those things out though for what the game oh, is about, no, no, no. For the game to be about, like yeah, and people would write us to be like, "Hey, I found a bug in your game." It would be like, "Awesome, right?" Like that's <laughs> that's great. Like we we never fix yeah. those things because that's that's what makes it so much fun. And, yeah. and people people who found those would often be like really confused because they're like, "I know that this is a game about breaking, about doing things you're not supposed to do." So am I? Is this a part of it? Am I, <laughs> right, right, right. We were yeah. just, we were just like a breaking. real gray space there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. We had people really confused over that. And we just, we didn't say anything. We were just like, cool. That's, that's your experience, man. You get to, you get to have that. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, that's it for me, man. This was so, this was so good. Thank you so much for taking, totally. I know you do this very much, so I really appreciate it. Totally. Uh, it's great. This is super cool. Yeah. Um, Thanks for uh, listening to all my inane life philosophy. We're all one connected, <laughs> a single point of Mother light. Earth, man. Light is, uh, emanates from all things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. 